Well, if y'all could stand for the reading of our scripture today. And this is from Romans 3, verses 21 through 31. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast, then, that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There is only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. This is the word of God to you today. You may be seated. Good job, Lindsay. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Dylan. I am the student director here at New City, and uh, it's an exciting morning. Um, We get to be here and worship together. That's one thing. Uh, Secondly, um, I'm from Indiana, and I I was born and raised a huge Colts fan, and the Colts come to town today. Um, And I get to go to the the Colts and Panthers game, and typically, like, I, I don't mind pulling for the Panthers. Like, you know, I'll, I'll root for them, but not today. Um, that is not happening today. And uh, so I'm excited to go to that later. Um, but then also, like, today is an exciting day because um, we're highlighting foster care, system, uh, foster care day next week. And um, it's so exciting to have uh, partners of ours from, uh, of New City who, who are actually from New City. <laughs> so Lindsay, uh, being a part of here with Isaiah 117, and um, Chris Knox, you heard him um, at the beginning this morning from Farm 127, and um, Nicole Taylor from um, CFK. Like, uh, it's amazing to think about what God has been doing through this church specifically for foster care and the vulnerable kids in our, our city. And um, we, just w- we would love for you to come next week to learn more about what's happening and what God is doing and how he's using New City for this specifically. Um, I think there are cards on your, your uh, chairs next to you somewhere. If you want to sign up and register, you can use the, that to register. Um, but we would love to see you next week for that. All right, so by show of hands, um, does anybody here a fan of Lord of the Rings? Okay, we have a few. Like, it seems like this side of the room is and this side of the room is not. Um, but that's okay. So uh, I'm a big fan of Lord of the Rings. And um, if, if you're like... What is he talking about? I have no interest in this. Like, please bear with me. I promise that we're going somewhere with this. 
Um, but J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of Lord of the Rings, coined a word that captures a major theme in, in his writings, in his stories, specifically in uh, Lord of the Rings. And the word is catastrophe. And the essence of this word means the sudden and surprising turn for the better. So this is more than just a story that has a happy ending. Um, it's something that captures how the heights of joy can only be truly felt when one knows the, the lowest depths of, of hopelessness. And one of my favorite scenes from Lord of the Rings uh, where this is shown is this, this major battle called Helm's Deep. And uh, in, the, in this part of the story, Aragorn and Gimli and Legolas and an elven army are uh, battling to, for the survival of, of all mankind. Um, and they're clearly outnumbered. There's tens of thousands of orcs that are coming up against them. And they're, they're protected in this mighty fortress called Helm's Deep. And so uh, they're, they're holding strong. They're fighting. They're, ba- they're battling. They're making it through the night. But... Um, the only thing that, that they, they're really protected by is the mighty walls of their fortress. And everything changes when the enemy breaks down the wall and they start to flood in. And at this point, all hope is lost. There's no way that they can survive the onslaught without being completely overtaken. And as the hopelessness sets in, the heroes in the story accept their fate. And uh, they decide, we're going to ride out for this final battle for death and for glory. (laughs) And as they ride out uh, for this final battle, something completely unexpected happens. Their powerful ally, Gandalf the White, appears on the mountain to the east just as the sun is beginning to rise to aid his friends with a new army that he has come to help them with. And Gandalf and his men charge down the mountain, and they completely overwhelm the army of the orcs and destroy them, and victory is won. Talk about a sudden and surprising turn of events. Victory for this battle had been won, but you can't help but feel with the characters the, the immense amount of joy that they felt um, without also realizing how much hopelessness they felt just moments before uh, Gandalf came to save the day. And another way to say this is that we can't really know how good good news is until we know how bad the bad news is. In, in the last several weeks through this sermon series in the book of Romans, we've been walking through up to this point, it has been a lot of bad news. In the first three, uh, three and a half chapters of Romans can be summed up with everybody has sinned and falls short of God's glory. And whether through our own self-righteousness our own self-centeredness. We've fallen into sin and fallen short of God's standard. And in both ways, we've, uh, we stand condemned before God and we're powerless to do anything about it um, in ourselves. This is really bad news. We've been battling at Helm's Deep all night um, and we just realized that we're not gonna make it through. But praise be to God that this is not the end of our story. (laughs) Praise be to God that Romans does not stop in chapter 3, verse 20, uh, which says that no one can be made right with God. We can't know how good the good news is until we know how bad the bad news is. And the bad news is bad. But guys, the good news is that there is good news, and it's really, really good. 
Martin Lloyd-Jones once said that there are no more powerful words in all of Scripture than just these two words, but now. But now there is really good news. Verse 21, but now God has shown us to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses in the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, for everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. In these verses, Paul tells us that there is a new reality that is possible for us now. But now, God has made a way uh, for us to be made right with him. One commentator says that the cross of Christ is the transition point between all of humanity. One, it's the dividing mark distinguishing two eras. The first era that is marked um, by, by God's opposition to evil and all unrighteousness. But now, this new era marked by God's righteousness because of the cross. And in this, God has made a new way for us to be made right with him. And it has nothing to do with what we can do to earn it, to make this a reality for ourselves, from our own power, but it has everything to do with what God has done through Jesus for us. This is really good news. But now God has made a way to be made right with him, and it's through faith in Jesus. This righteousness of God is not and cannot be found in anyone or anything else. My faith and my trust and my allegiance is in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And that is all that's required in order for me to be made right with God. There are no prerequisites. There are no conditions. There are no resumes or no good deeds that must be accomplished beforehand. It is all, um, all that's required to be made right with him is by receiving what he's given to us through faith. This is really good news. But now God has made a way for us to be made right with him, and it is for all who believe. Just as uh, surely as the scripture says, everybody has sinned, the righteousness of God is now available for all who will receive it. Anyone who calls out in the name of Jesus in faith will be made right with God. And this is the major point that Paul has been trying to make in Romans up to this point. God's plan for redemption and salvation was never meant for the Jews only. It was never exclusive. It was never intended um, for just the Jews as many in Paul's day had believed. No, Paul understood the wider implications of how good this good news really is. Because God had planned all along to make salvation possible for all people. God is not the God of just one nation. God is not the God of just one people, um, but the God of all nations and the God of all people. And a day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So God's redemptive plan for salvation has always been for all people. And the plan for this good news to spread uh, was from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And it's the same still today. From Matthews to Stallings to Mint Hill to Charlotte to the, the ends of our known worlds and the people that we know um, in our own lives. It's for all people. And this is really good news. And finally, finally the, the way to be made right with God is given to us 
freely. It is 100% a free gift that God has made possible for us to receive. Mercy is getting, uh, not getting what we deserve. And because of our sin and unrighteousness against God, we deserved punishment. But because of Jesus' mercy, we have not uh, received what we deserve. And if mercy is not getting what we deserve, grace is getting what we do not deserve. We have done nothing to deserve the status of standing innocent before God, but because of Jesus' grace, we have received what we don't deserve. Ephesians 2.8 says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and it is a gift. This is really good news. This is the shocking reality of what God has done for us. This is the catastrophe of the cross of Jesus, the sudden and surprising turn of events uh, that God has intervened in our helplessness and hopelessness on our behalf so that we could be made right with him. And this is a, the new reality made possible to us only through Jesus. And in the next verses, Paul turns to explain how this really good news is possible. And it has everything to do with Jesus because Jesus is the good news. I just want to give a, a brief disclaimer before we jump into this part because there's going to be a lot of um, theological terms that Paul is talking about in this, um, in this passage to explain how this has been made possible. And the point of, of theology, just to say it up front, like, it is always to move us into deeper worship. We can get lost in the jargon, and we can get caught up in, in ideas, but um, theology should always be received and applied, and the, the response to that is always to be to worship. So uh, verse 24, Jesus is the good news. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. And he did this through Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin, and people are made right with him, um, with God, when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. So let's jump into these verses and look at three things that Paul's, Paul's uh, telling us. The first uh, point is that because of Jesus, we can be declared righteous. One of Paul's favorite ways to describe this is through the legal metaphor of justification. Because Jesus' work we have received freely through faith, we are acquitted and we are declared righteous before God. We are innocent. We are no longer condemned because the work of Christ on the cross has justified us in God's sight. The law that we could not fulfill on our own has been fulfilled for us, and through faith we are now declared faultless and guiltless and righteous, and this allows us to stand freely before God. And any and all charges that could have been held against us have been completely wiped away and removed. And this is all because of God's free and unmerited grace towards us. Justification is possible sheerly because of God's love and his desire to save us. Jesus is the good news because in Jesus we are justified before God. Secondly, because of Jesus, we can be freed from the penalty of our sin. The idea that Paul has in mind here is that in Jesus we have redemption, we have been redeemed. Um, the, in the Greco Roman world, 
the concept of redemption was applied to, uh, to slaves, to condemned criminals, to prisoners of war. And each of these groups of people were able to buy their way back into freedom. There was a price that they could pay to be able to uh, get their freedom back. And Paul uses this idea to describe what our enslavement, enslavement to the power of sin and death is like. Uh, we have a debt against us that we cannot pay and that we are powerless to pay in and of ourselves. But in Christ, God has made redemption possible. Jesus came to buy us back, to free us from this enslavement to sin and death. And the way that he redeemed us is through the giving of his own life. He is both the redeemer and the ransom. The price that was paid was his very own life for ours. He substituted himself for us by taking on the, the punishment of, of judgment um, that we deserve because of our sin and unrighteousness. He is the redeemer and the ransom. Jesus is the good news because in Jesus, we are redeemed from sin and death. And finally, because of Jesus, the wrath of God is satisfied. Paul describes Jesus' sacrifice um, in, in other translations, maybe you have the ESV or um, something different than the NLC that we've read. But the, the, the way that Paul describes his sacrifice is a propitiation, which is a sacrifice that not just only removes sin, but in the removal of sin, wrath is removed as well. And Paul uses this language to tie back to the Old Testament image of the mercy seat, the place in the temple where blood would be poured out uh, in the blood sacrifice um, for the forgiveness of sins and through the forgiveness of sins, the removal of wrath as well. Jesus' sacrifice, his blood that is shed on the cross was a propitiating sacrifice. And Paul is making the connection between what Jesus has done in this Old Testament ritual to help prepare our understanding of what has taken place on the cross. And I want to I sit here in just a, uh, for just a moment and uh, for us to talk about what, what is God's wrath. Because I know for, for many people, the, the concept and the topic of, of God's wrath can be a stumbling block. It can be uncomfortable. It's hard to reconcile. How can God be love and be wrath at the same time? And for many of us, we've been taught that God is angry or that God in his wrath is, is vengeful. And um, that's, that's the heart of his wrath is, is vengeance. And that this is God's disposition towards us always. And this makes some of us uh, live in a kind of fear that causes uh, a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety and for other people, this has caused them to walk away from the faith altogether. And if this is you or you know people who have this story, I just want to say, I hear that, and I'm so sorry. What is so important to keep in mind about God's wrath is the fullness of God's character, the fullness of who God is. Particularly, and this is what we're going to talk about, God's holiness and his love. God is not sometimes holy and sometimes love. We can't, um, if we would, we've wanted to, we can't graph out what God's character is like on, on a pie chart and say, well, God is, is he's 50% love and he's 50% holy. Or 
I, I see God as 60% love and 40% holy, or he's 90% one way and 10 the other. Like, no matter what variation we, we try to make, we, we can't do that because um, God's character is such that he is 100% who he is 100% of the time. And this means that God is 100% holy always, and he is 100% love always. And neither of these can change. Neither of these can be compromised. For God to be holy, it means that he is distinct and set apart. There is nobody like God. He is set apart and different. And he's set apart and different because there's nobody like him who is absolutely perfect, who is holy, pure, who is fully good. And this is never going to change. He is so good that he is incapable of sinning. And he is so pure that he stands in opposition to all that is impure and unrighteous. And so God's wrath is a just response to sin and evil that is in direct contradiction to his holiness. And it's his opposition to the sin and evil um, that makes him just in punishing for it because it would be against his character to not do so. And God can't deny himself. But just as God is still 100% holy, he is 100% love as well at all times, always. And just as Jesus' sacrifice was to satisfy God's wrath, it was also just as much to show the lengths of God's love that would go to save us. And the language of verse 25 emphasizes this for us, that it was God who offered Jesus as uh, the sacrifice for us in the first place. In his love, he took the initiative to save us. We are the ones who took up arms against God. We are the ones who made ourselves his enemies. And despite this, Paul says in Romans 5 that God shows his love for us in this way, that while we were still sinners and his enemies, Christ died for us. So that, uh, and so in this, we see in the cross news that is so good that it cannot be over. Uh, emphasized or overstated. For in the cross is the greatest expression of God's holiness, the fullest expression of his justice, and the fullest expression of his love on display for all to see. For in the cross, God's holiness is maintained, his wrath is satisfied, and it's all wrapped in his love through his willingness to send Jesus to be our justification, redemption, propitiation, and forgiveness. Jesus' sacrifice has cleansed us of our sin and satisfied God's wrath against all evil and unrighteousness. And because of this, we can now know God and enjoy him. We can experience his love and his joy, and we can be reconciled to him in this way. Jesus is the good news because in Jesus, God's wrath has been satisfied. So what Paul has said is that through faith, we are justified. It's not just faith in anything. It is faith in Jesus. It is faith in what Jesus has done through the cross. And this, um, what makes this good news even greater is that this was God's designed work for all time. And this, there's a, the verses of 
25 and 26, you know, an interesting thing that Paul says, but he, he's trying to explain that all sin that took place before the cross, in that era before the cross, um, God was not just passing over the sin. He didn't forget about it. He wasn't leaving it unpun uh, unpunished. He wasn't an unjust God because that is not his character. But in his patience and his forbearance, he has now applied the effects of the cross to all people in all sin across all time who have placed their faith in God. And this is to show that God is both the one who is just and the one who justifies those who have faith. Justification and salvation come through faith um, now just as it was before. And this is a, a big part of what's going to be talked about in chapter 4 next week. of Abraham's justification that came through faith, not through works. Up to this point in our passage, Paul has, has told us what uh, this really good news is and how it's been made possible. And in the final verses, he now turns to give some practical implications about what this means for us. So verse 27 says, Can we boast then? that we have done anything to be accepted by God. No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. After all, is God the God of uh, the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There is only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Well, then, if we emphasize faith, does that mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. It is, uh, in fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. So Paul's argument here at the end goes like this. Since justification is only through faith and not through works, nobody can boast because nobody's done anything to earn it. It's all grace. Because God is the God of both Jews and Gentiles, and it's consistent uh, that all people, Jews and Gentiles, are going to be made right with him through their faith and not works. And so, if we emphasize faith so much, then we can forget about the law altogether, right? And then Paul throws a curveball and says, no. We can't forget about that because it's actually through the fulfilling of the law that Jesus has done for us that makes the law beautiful. What we see that Jesus has done is he's fulfilled this and upheld the law perfectly um, because of our faith, we can now live and work towards living out the ways of the law through the power of the Spirit. What the, what the law did before, we could, it, it could not produce the righteousness within us. But through faith in Jesus and through the Spirit, we can now live according to God's law and his ways. And Jesus makes God's law beautiful. And this is an idea that, that will be um, talked about, and again, in another passage and in more depth in Romans. Um, but let's go back to, to boasting for a minute. And I said this before when we, we jumped into verses 24. But one danger that can come when we study theology is that we can fill our minds with a lot of knowledge. But the point of our study of theology should not be just to gain knowledge, but to be moved to, to deeper worship of, of God, deeper awe and wonder of what he's done um, and who he is. And we've covered a lot of theology in this sermon so far. And I believe one of the, the main implications that we have to take from this is uh, how our response to God's, to God's work in us and through uh, Jesus 
should always be one of praise. It should be one of adoration and thanksgiving because God is worthy. Paul asks rhetorically, can we boast then? No, because we have done nothing to justify ourselves. We have done absolutely nothing, and we have nothing to boast in. How can we claim credit for what we have not done? We can't. And because of this, our only appropriate response to God is uh, to worship him and to boast in Jesus. As Paul says in Galatians, may I never, may I never boast in anything except for the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the same attitude that we must cultivate in our own hearts. And how do we do that? A good place to start is simply name what we're boasting in. Tim Keller says that what you boast in is what gives you confidence to go out and face the day. It's fundamentally what defines you and where you draw your identity from. So what am I drawing my confidence from? And what is giving me identity outside of Jesus? Maybe for some of us it's our job or our work and how much identity we find in what we do more than who Jesus says that we are. Maybe inwardly, we boast about how much money we have and the, the security that we feel that we've grown accustomed to because of this more than the security that we have in Jesus. Or maybe we boast in our relationships and we draw confidence from the acceptance and the approval of others in believing how they see us is more important than how Jesus sees us. In all of these ways, our boasting is misplaced. They are all real felt needs, but we are drawing confidence and trying to find an identity in things that are never going to be able to give them to us. And Paul says that the only one worth boasting in, the only one who can meet these needs is Jesus. We have to be honest with ourselves and name the things that we boast in that are not Jesus. Maybe that's by writing it down. <laughs> Maybe we need to share this with somebody else, but we have to be honest and name it and then surrender that to the Lord. And then to ask him, God, show me how, how much greater you are than what I'm boasting in. For others of us, the application that we need is to be reminded that we actually do have something to boast in. That we can boast in the cross of Jesus and his good news for us. When we started this series a few weeks ago, I was talking with somebody after, uh, after the service and with tears in her eyes, she shared, I know that I'm forgiven, but I still feel so much shame for my past. And this conversation was a reminder of how hard it can be to apply this truth to our lives, to our own stories. For many of us, it can be hard to move out of these old stories, to live stuck in our shame. But the good news is so good that you don't have to stay stuck in your story of guilt or shame. This good news is so good that you are allowed to boast in it as well. We have an enemy that wants to nothing more than to deceive us and make us uh, think differently. But when we're discouraged, and tempted to believe that this good news does not apply to us, we have to remember that we can boast in this work that Jesus has done for us. We can take confidence from him and what he has done because it's all about what he has done and not us. 
just as there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation or make ourselves right with God, there is nothing in our past that exempts us from being able to fully embrace this good news either. The good news applies to you. So boast in this good news and what he has done for you, that you are justified, that you are redeemed, that you are loved because through your faith in Jesus, this is true now of your story as well. Maybe for some of us, we haven't heard this good news before or that we haven't received it and God is stirring in your heart to respond to this good news. And if this is you, know that all you have to do is simply say yes. God has made the way. All you need to do is respond to this good news of Jesus by receiving it in faith. God longs for you to know him. Whether we boast in something that is other than Jesus or we need to remember that we can boast in Jesus, the way forward is the same. We humbly remember that there's nothing that we can do to make ourselves right with God. And there's nothing that we can do or have done to make being made right with God impossible. But God has made the way through Jesus. And we must preach this good news to ourselves and one another every day and respond with a life of worship and gratitude. May our only boast be in the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. And may this good news lead us to greater worship of him. The bottom line for this morning there is good news, and the good news is really good. To Christ alone be the glory. Would you pray with me? God, we praise you. We praise you for what you have done, for the life that you have now made possible to us through Jesus. We are so grateful, Lord. And I pray that you would impress this news on us in a new way. God, help us to know the depths of our hopelessness so that we can know the joy of what we now have in you. Would you stir in our hearts the wonder and the worship of your goodness and how worthy you are for us to praise you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for making a way possible to know you, God. And we worship you in response of that truth. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.